This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Morning. Passage this morning is on page 886 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. John chapter 1, starting at verse 19 through 34. I'm sorry. Yes? I'm sorry, I'm receiving a telepathic message from Pastor Trevor. We can't do that. Okay. If you have a Bible that does not have this passage on page 886 and you can produce it, we have a copy for you of Dane Orland's uh, amazing book, Gentle and Lowly. Yeah, for anyone who can possibly produce a Bible that does not have this on page 886. That's, I mean, that's straight from Trevor. Um, talk to a staff member for that. <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the, <clears throat> when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit from heaven descending like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the uh, the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. I love John. I'm... I was, I was so excited in preparation this week. I was sitting at a coffee shop with Kayla and I was wrapping up and I'm just like reading like little quotes and things that I'm excited about. And we're crying together and just like, I, I'm excited for today. I think it's going to be a great, um, great text for us as we open. And just in anticipation, um, every single one of us in this room, like we've experienced the feeling of longing to see something. For instance, and this is a nerdy illustration, forgive me, but like when I had heard like under the table that maybe there was going to be more Star Wars movies years ago, right? And I was like, there's no way, like it's done. You know, we'd got the prequels. That was a blessing to some. Um, I liked them. Uh, And then I hear like, oh, there's going to be more. Disney's taken over. Like, what does this mean? I don't know. We'll see. And then all of a sudden, like the trailer dropped. 
and I'm watching it and I'm crying. <laughs> and I'm so excited because everything that I had longed for and hoped for in Star Wars had come true. Now, this isn't a discussion on whether or not they ended up being good movies, so rein it in, nerds. But like the point of the longing and hope like has drawn me into where John draws us into today. And even if you read, if you read the book, the Chronicles of Narnia, they do the exact same thing there where you see four children, sons of daughter, uh, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve entering into Narnia, a dark, cold, wintry place where like no one has hope and it's really sad. And, and all of a sudden things start to change there. You see, the snow start to melt. You see creatures in the world start to have hope again. And it's not because they have hope in the Pevensey children. The Pevensey children are not like some amazing thing that are actually bringing the summer back to Narnia. No, we know that their hope lied in the fact that the Pevensey children's presence in Narnia meant that Aslan was coming back that Aslan was coming back. And this was the symbol when four, uh, when two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve enter into Narnia, we know that hope is on its way. It's real. It's coming. The, the text says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. This is what they were hoping for. It wasn't in the Pevensey children. The Pevensey children just signaled, oh, this is the real deal. This is the thing that we have longed for. And John the Baptist is bringing us into that exact same hope because his presence on the planet, the messages that he preached signified that hope was coming. It signified that the, the long-awaited message of God, like the long-awaited promises of God being fulfilled, it was coming. And all the people who've been sitting around waiting for hundreds of years, not hearing a word from God, we, we, it's called the, hundred, uh, the, the time of silence, right? We know that there was about 400 years when the people of Israel heard nothing from God. No prophets, no special revelation, nothing. And they've just been waiting around for some Messiah to show up. And John the Baptist showing, us, showing up as a prophet was signaling to them, hope is on its way. And the text draws us right into that. I want us to be drawn into that exciting message of hope this morning. So let's pray and jump right in. Father, opening your word is a blessing to us this morning. So give us confidence that you will accomplish all that you say you will, that your word never returns void and everything you do is for your glory and for our good. God, we love you, we trust you, and we ask that you do an amazing work this morning in your name, amen. Okay, so today's text, uh, again, we're back in John. It's, it's narrative literature. So it's a story. It reads like a story. And, and it's broken, broken into two sections. In the first section, you're going to see John uh, getting interviewed by some religious people. And he's just constantly, it's just this interesting little funny conversation that we see between these uh, priests and John the Baptist. And then in the second half, we get to see, we've just, by the way, week four in John, and we're in chapter one still. We get to see Jesus for the first time. Several verses into the text, we finally get to see Jesus. He's been talked about. He's been alluded to. The word of God, the word of God. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. We get to see him right here in this next passage. And it's important to know, like, we'll get there. I wanted to get some context on John, but we'll get there. All right, first, verse 19. 
This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So immediately we see uh, some religious leaders are freaked out by this guy preaching down by the river, baptizing people. And, and they're like, we got to send some people to check this guy out. So they send some priests, some Levites down to the river. And they're like, who's, and then this may seem weird to you, but it wasn't all weird to them. If anybody was preaching like anything, like the religious people would want to know, is this something in line with the scriptures? We got to go make sure that they're teaching something in line. And that's not too different from today. It's just that John was dressed really weird. And you may be like, well, that doesn't seem weird because everybody in the Bible was dressed weird. But like for you and me, if we're in here on a Sunday, we're having church and we hear, hey, there's this guy down up at the river and he's every day down there and he's preaching in a tank top with it's all torn up and shorts that are you know, khaki cream colored shorts with stains all over him and no shoes. And he's got wild hair and he's down by the river and he's preaching some message and he's gathering a massive crowd. You better believe your elders would go check it out. Like what's going on with this guy? And so that's what we go to. Like these guys are showing up and they're, they're just trying to say like, who are you? And it says immediately in verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So John immediately knows what's going on here. He knows what they're trying to draw out of him. He knows like, these guys are confused. They're missing it. I am not the Christ. It's like if they just showed up and he, I can just see like sarcasm and just like frustration on his face because there, there'd be frustration because they're missing the point of what he was preaching. They're not listening to his actual words as he says he's preparing the way. But no, they're like, who are you? And he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. He knows what's going on, but he, that doesn't stop the interrogation. They keep going and they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not. Now, why would they say, are you Elijah? Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who had to have been dead for hundreds of years at this point. There's no way that any sane person would be like, this guy's got to be Elijah. You know, he's been dead, but this is Elijah. But we also know some things about Elijah that he would wear. He was a very hairy man and he would wear a belt. It's how he's described if you look at Second Kings. And so they see this guy dressed in camel fur, wearing a belt around his waist. And they're like, he looks like what the, what the Old Testament says about Elijah. Maybe it's a valid question. So they ask this guy, is he Elijah? He's preaching a very similar message to Elijah. And he's like, I'm not Elijah. He rebuffs those claims as well. And again, they ask him, okay, then are you the prophet? No, again, he answered. So they had in mind the, the prophecy of Moses that the Lord of God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and you must listen to him. This is Deuteronomy 18, 15. So they're asking him, well, he's not, uh, he's not the, the Christ. He's not Elijah. Maybe he's the prophet, which if they knew their Bible, they would have, this is a redundant question. This is a redundant question. Of course, he's not the prophet because he's not the Christ. So he's frustrated. And they're frustrated. And in verse 22, <laughs> they say, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Like, dude, just tell us who you are. We keep asking you who you are and we're making guesses and you're not saying a word of who you are. And he says, he answers in verse 23, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. 
And all the Isaiah nerds who were with us in the Isaiah series should, bing, bing, they should be signaling because in Isaiah 40, he, he's, he's referencing Isaiah 40 when the one who would come would level all the terrain. He would raise up the valleys and he would lower the mountains, making a path for the Messiah to come and make all things new. He's referencing that and he's saying, I'm the one who's going forward and clearing that path. He's basically like going back and saying, I've been saying this, I've been preaching this message. You should know by now who I am and you keep missing it. I'm the one preparing the way for the Messiah, for the Christ, for the one that you keep saying that I am. I'm the one preparing the way. I am not him. Verse 24 says, they've been sent by the Pharisees. So these are just like Pharisee fanboys, you know, priests and Levites. They've been sent by the Pharisees and they asked, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John's like, I'm baptizing with water, but among you stands one you do not know. This is not just a, a statement that is like, you don't, know who I'm, you don't know who the Messiah actually is. This is sad. This is sad. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how if Jesus is the light and the life and John the Baptist is the one coming into the room saying like, the lights are on. Don't you see that the lights are on? They're missing it. They're missing it. This should be evident to them. There's one um, among us that you don't know, but you should know, but you should know. And he says in verse 27, even he who comes after me, (laughs) I love this, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. It's like, listen, the one that you're missing, he is way, he's a way bigger deal than I am. He's a way bigger deal than I am. You see these crowds that are gathering around here? You think that's important or you think that's like popular or whatever, like the one who's coming, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I'm not even worried, worthy to touch the, the dirt on his feet to clean it. Like I'm not worthy for that. And then it says all these things were taking place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. So these messengers are probing and probing and probing and finally they lash out. Just tell us who you are. Just tell us who you are, man. And what's fascinating about John, and I want you to notice this, is he takes a posture that all of us in this room should be emulating as followers of Christ. He takes a posture where as they probe him and they ask him, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? He never even answers the question about who he himself is until the end. All he does up to that point is deflect and say, I'm preparing a way for this guy. I'm talking about this guy. You're not here to see me. You're here to see this guy. Trust me, I'm not that big of a deal. He keeps deflecting off of himself and pointing to the one who would bring hope into the world. One commentator points out, that John's response could have been, (laughs) could have been, he writes, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the last of the Old Testament prophets. My birth was declared to my father by an angel. The Holy Spirit empowered me for a mission when I was in the womb. The son of God called me the greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth. That's who I am. Who are you? That's how John the Baptist could have answered. And if we're to be honest, that's how every single one of us probably would have answered given the authority and power that John the Baptist had, but he did not. Instead, he took the microphone and boldly, humbly, without talking about himself much at all, directed them right back to the one who could save them. Right back to the one that that could save them. That's the posture we should emulate as light bearers in this world. Our spiritual worship, our lives, everything that we have, everything that we do, 
we direct, redirect the ten, attention off of us and back to the one who saved us and gave us stature and all the things, all the things that you have and that you can claim and like your status at work, even like your, your athletic ability, whatever, like all the things that you have been given have been given to you by God. And so when the world looks at you and notices something different about you, because you have the light of the world inside of you, your posture shouldn't be like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome, right? Like, look at all the things that I've done. This is what we talked about when we talked about Paul, uh, when, when in Romans, when, when God gives us gifts as believers, we're going to be good at some stuff. And in that moment, he, he doesn't say like, yeah, make a big deal about your gifts. In that moment, you're supposed to deflect, say, yep, this is all God's. I act humbly. Like I would be nothing without him. It's the posture of believers. It's the posture of that we are supposed to take. So when you're in the spotlight and you're getting the attention and you have the favor and you have the success or whatever, you grab the light and you point it right back at the one who gave it to you. That's your job. Make much of the true light as believers. It's the posture we're called to take. So John sets that up for us. He's deflecting these, these religious people. Um, you know, it's frustrating for them. It's frustrating for him. And he's like, listen, you need to be paying attention to the, the person that you don't even know. And I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And then we get introduced to that very person in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Oh man, I skipped this part. Sorry, I jumped ahead. Next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the son of God. Okay, lots to unpack in this passage. So I wanna go slowly through it. First of all, John the Baptist knew the purpose that God had sent him for. He knew it. God gave him the purpose to be the witness who cleared the way for the Messiah. And from the time he was born, John the Baptist knew this was his responsibility. John had also known Jesus his entire life. They were cousins, but he had no idea that he was the Messiah. He says that. Can you imagine that for a minute? Like you've been hanging around, like you know Jesus is over there. He's the son of Mary. There was some drama at his birth. Like you, you get that, right? But like, you don't know he's the Messiah. He didn't know that he was the one who he's clearing the way for. In verse 33, he says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he who you see the spirit remain, descend and remain, he is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So catch this for a minute. John is baptizing people in the river. And he sees his cousin, Jesus, just like wander down to him. And he's like, hey, what's going on, Jesus? And he's like, I want you to baptize me. And so he's like, okay. So John baptizes Jesus. And then we get this whole scene where he sees the spirit descend down from heaven, resting on Jesus. An important word here, it remains. It remains. This is not the first time in scripture that we see the spirit descending and resting on people. You see it happening in 1 Samuel a lot uh, with Saul, like the spirit would be with Saul and then the spirit would leave Saul. You see it with the prophets that the spirit would come and the prophets would have visions, right? We see it happening where they, the spirit comes, the spirit goes. The spirit comes, the spirit goes. 
And for the first time, the spirit descends and remains. And remains. And John sees this. And he remembers what God had told him. He's like, oh, this is the one I was looking out for. This is the one who was supposed uh, to, to come. I can't believe it's my cousin. I just baptized him. And I can just imagine that in this whole moment, like all the dots are connecting for him, that this is the Messiah and he's pointing him out. The spirit never remained on anybody else, but in this moment we see it resting on Jesus. And he calls him the lamb of God. He calls him the Lamb of God when he's witnessing. He's like, look over there. there. Here comes the Lamb of God, the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. And if you're a Bible reader, you have to be drawn back to Exodus 12 here. When the, when the Passover was happening, you have to be drawn back to that moment when God's telling his people, you need to kill a lamb. You need to take his blood. You need to cover the top of your door. Because if you don't, I'm going to go through Egypt and I'm going to take all the first son's life. But the lamb sacrificed will be your covering so that I will not kill you. And so we also have to be drawn drawn to the day of atonement. When the people would come to the temple, they would make sacrifices for their sins. They would, they went through all of these processes. And John is saying, that is the lamb of God. The Baptist is saying the end of our continual sacrificing is at hand because the son of God, the Messiah, the God King, the, the one who has come in human flesh, he will take on the sins of the world once and for all and be slaughtered like a lamb. He's right there. He's right there. And no one saw it coming this way. <laughs> it's so funny. Like it's laid out. We, we read it from our standpoint. We see all the prophecies. We see all the Old Testament connecting. We read it and it makes sense to us. And we're like, oh yes, like Jesus was clearly this person. But it, it's so hard to imagine like in that moment, like being able to connect the dots and see this person as Jesus. And they did, they missed it. Most of them missed it, especially the religious leaders. One writer says they were hoping for a prophet or a king, but not a lamb. They hoped the promised one would come and liberate them from the tyranny of the Romans, but they didn't realize they needed liberation from the tyranny of sin. I wonder if they didn't ask about the lamb because they had no sense of their own sin. They were right to expect a king. Jesus will reign over all the earth, he writes, but they didn't pay close attention to the prophets. Before the king would ascend the throne, he must first lie down on the altar. Before he would come as a conquering leader, he must first come as a crucified lamb. All of the religious leaders were interested in seeing the lion of Judah. And he did come eventually. But he came first as the lamb. I just... It's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom. We have all these expectations, these builds up, these things that we've hoped for for 400 years. Remember, this is like, we give them a lot of, you know, a hard time, but like, this is what they've been waiting for for 400 years and all their expectations fell short. And this guy who's supposed to die, of course they were disappointed. Of course they were thrown off. This isn't the lion that we thought. Like, it's just the son of a carpenter who is just a normal dude on the outside is what it looked like, right? But he was the lamb. He was the lamb of God. He was the lamb of God. He was the scapegoat mentioned in Leviticus that would go out into the wilderness with all the sins of the people. John is painting a picture for us that he is the Christ, the one who would save them. 
He's the one who will take your place when you deserve death. He's the one who will be pierced for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquity. He's trying to connect them to the prophets. He's the one who would die, the Lamb of God, but rise again. This is where the promise was missed. He would rise again as the Lion of Judah, the conquering king. But he had to become a lamb. He had to become a lamb. He was the triumphant lamb mentioned in Revelation 7 in John's future vision. When it says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. And they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And to the lamb. They weren't expecting this. And Jesus came humbly as a lamb. And John finishes this section. He's like, listen, I've been baptizing with water this whole time, but this lamb of God, the son who will take away the sins of the world, he's coming and will baptize with the spirit. And this is a miracle. It means for those who believe in the gospel, the good news is that Jesus as the lion and lamb, he will defeat sin and death, will reign forever Those children will also receive the Holy Spirit, as Titus says, the Spirit washes and and regenerates you, renews you with faith. And because of Jesus, the same Spirit won't leave you, but like our Savior, when you become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit remains, remains. This is miraculous. This is miraculous that, that the Spirit would remain on you that you have been cleansed and, and, and you didn't deserve it. Like, think about this for a second. That if you're a believer in this room today, your unworthiness, all of the sin that you brought into the room, all of like your past and history, all of that combined, you're a, you're a mess. I was a mess, right? We're all a mess. And yet, because of Jesus, because of what he did for us, the spirit comes down and it, it rests on us and it washes us and makes us pure and unblemished. We know the sacrifices in Exodus 12 and, and, and the, the day of atonement. These were unblemished sacrifices. We are not even that. We are so torn up and broken, but the Holy Spirit washes us so that we can be living sacrifices for God once and for all as his children. That's such good news. We didn't deserve that. And man, if you're in the room and you're not a believer, the invitation is the same spirit that descended on Jesus that washed, washed uh, all of us in this room who are followers of him and, and cleansed us. Like for you, like that's possible because of this gospel, that he was the lion and the lamb. That you, like us, can, can be washed, not because of what you've done, but because God loves you so much. He can cleanse you. And all of us who have been cleansed, like point others to your Savior, boast in your Savior, rest in the Lamb. I want to read to you a charge um, for those of us who believe. Tertullian wrote about this. He talked about the spreading influence of believers. This is what it looks like, believers, to take a posture that is not boasting in yourself, but boasting in others, like 1 Corinthians says. But Tertullian wrote about the spreading influence of believers, and he said, We are but of yesterday, and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplace, tribes, companies, palaces, senate, forums. We have nothing left to you but the temple of your gods. Let that be true of Christianity today. Let that be true of Christianity today, that we go out from our places of worship, we go out from this building, And we spread through our cities and the surrounding communities, pointing everyone to Jesus. 
The writer of this commentary wrote, I would love to write in 20 years that we have filled every place among you like Tertullian, that we have filled cities, counties, schools, rec leagues, restaurants, software companies, engineering firms, grocery stores, post office, gyms. We have left nothing to you but a few empty buildings that used to be house, houses of pagan religions. That's our call, believers, is to fill those places by shining the light of Jesus away from us and back towards him. Point back towards him. And when we do that, when we point others to our Savior, when we boast in our Savior, when we rest on our Savior, people hear the good news gospel message of how you were saved, and they too receive the hope that this is all not for, you know, this is all for a purpose. This is for a purpose. Hope is coming again. He will make all things new. The suffering that we experience in this world isn't the end. All the things that we believe, hope is coming. And we see in the climax of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, this hope being fulfilled. Aslan, the great lion, marches to the stone table. He's murdered by the white witch. The Pevensey girls, Lucy and, and Susan, are sitting by and they watch it happen. It's a sad day, it's a bad day, and for them, it was a catastrophe. They cry themselves to sleep at the dead lion's feet, feeling hopeless as the evil witch's army marches to make war on Narnia. And at that moment, something happens. The rising of the sun had made everything look so different. All the colors and shadows were changed, it said, that for a moment they didn't see the important thing, and then they did. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan anymore. Oh, 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 cried the girls, rushing back to the table. This is so, this is so bad. They might have left the body alone. Who, who's taken it? Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? And, and from behind their back, they hear, yes, it is more magic. And they looked around, and there shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, stood Aslan himself. And after the initial shock of the moment had worn off, and they're wrapped up in this big lion, Aslan said, here's what it means. It means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a deeper magic still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes only back to the beginning of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read that there is a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack itself and death would start working backwards. And that is our hope as believers. That our, our lion became a lamb that he laid down his life for every single one of us. And that those who believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And for you, if that's, if that's the good news for you and you're following Jesus today, then go and shine his light everywhere you go, just like John the Baptist. You're not that much different than the weirdo dressed in camel skin, right? You're just like him. Go spread the good news of what Jesus has done. And if you're in this room and you don't know this person, this Jesus that we're speaking of, the one that John would say, hear this and believe, today that's your call. Today that's the call for you is to hear the message, the good news of hope and believe. 
The, the God of the universe could have reigned from above. He could have stood over us and just looked down and cast judgment, but he didn't do that. He loved us so much that he, be, he took on flesh and he died for you and for me. And then, he, and then he rose again three days later. The lion came out of the tomb with death grasped in its teeth and we have victory in him because of that. That's our call today. And, and, and we celebrate that every week as we go to the table. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus every week as we go to the table that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and that's what's represented in the, in the, the bread and the juice. And so if you're a believer, come and take uh, of, the, of the Lord's Supper as we, after I pray here in a moment. And if you're not a believer, just stay in your seat. This is just bread and juice, nothing special about it. It's not magical or anything. It's just our commitment to come down, our covenant with God, to remember what Jesus did for us, to be, to be encouraged. This is a family meal. So as I pray, come do that. We're gonna have a prayer team over here on the side, offering boxes in the lobby for gifts. I love you guys. Thanks for being here today. Father, thank you so much for all the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, as we leave this place and go about into our homes and our jobs and our lives and our families and all of those things, God, let us not forget the light that saved us and let us not forget to shine the light of Jesus in this world to everywhere we go. Father, we need you. We need you. And when the darkness moves in and suffering is at hand and all of the pain of life is, is just beating us down, God, like remind us of your promises. Remind us that victory is won. Remind us that the, the suffering is not the end of the story, but you will make all things new and tears will be gone one day. Encourage us. And as we go, Father, let us keep in our forefront of our minds like the good news of Jesus. Let us preach it every day to ourselves. Let us be transformed continually, sanctified continually by its good news. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.